Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best-selling author. So please grab your coffee, and if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I don't know what to say. <laughs> We're in the beginning of 2022. This is my first podcast for the year. And I, um, you know, at the, uh, during the fall and the beginning of the winter, I started out with a ton of enthusiasm for you know, all of the exciting things that were going on in the government. Uh, I was so hopeful for some changes that were going to be made. Um, there was a lot of momentum for what um, is now the Build Back Better plan, um, the, some changes to Social Security potentially, and some momentum for some changes to guardianship laws, both locally here in Massachusetts, as well as nationally, and just a lot of momentum, um, much of which has stalled out at this point. Um, we now have another wave of COVID, which, uh, you know, frankly, I'm not sure, you know, the, I'm not sure why this is having the impact that it is on people. And it is varied, definitely. Whether you look at um, different areas of the country, different places, whether it's, uh, you know, congregate living or schools or businesses, we've got um, some big cases going up to the Supreme Court right now in how they are dealing with um, the impact of mandatory vaccination status. Travel is shutting down again. Uh, we're on, you know, just turning the corner to start year three with COVID living and pandemic living. Now we're moving into what we're calling an endemic instead of a pandemic. And um, yeah, we're getting weary. Uh, the impact on the economy is um, pretty profound. And translating all of this to how this impacts the world of disability, it is, it's astounding. So um thinking all of this through as I'm recording this podcast, um, I don't have a guest this week and I 
wanted to pull my thoughts together for you and do my, you know, rah, rah, rah for 2022 first podcast of the year. This is not my usual beginning of the year podcast, I have to say. Um, I want to talk about, um, you know, because I did my end of the year podcast with, you know, starting the year off with a bang and planning for the year. I want to talk a little bit about the economy and financial health. And um, I'm going to do a a short little intro lead in. And then um, I'm going to rerun one of my favorite podcasts, which I think is just fantastic. um, Because one of our favorite authors has uh, had a new book come out just a short little while ago. And um, it is well worth rerunning her podcast from 2020 uh, because it was a fantastic interview and her book is magnificent. And I think everybody should run out and reread it because it will, it will uplift you and give you a chuckle. So um, more about that at the end of this intro. But anyway, I was fascinated to read in my inbox, um, a John Hancock retirement report talking about uh, some data that they had collected about how the pandemic is affecting employees. And some of it, not surprising, John Hancock, big um, Boston life insurance company, uh, national, international. I mean, some of this is not going to surprise you. Um, Some of it maybe will. Um, but people are uh, saving more during the pandemic during these past two years. Um, And savings boosted employees' confidence in their financial situations. No surprise there. Um, But nearly 75% of the people that they surveyed were feeling stressed in the past year during 2021. Again, no surprise there. Employees are eager for financial guidance and solutions from their employer, looking to their employer for for some guidance. And 66% said that having access to financial wellness programs would make them more likely to stay with their employer. Okay, so that's interesting. So um, let's see. Here are a couple of things that I wanted to point out to you. Confidence in their personal financial situation is at its highest level since 2018, but they also responded that seeking help in making money management decisions and showing a desire for guidance and solutions as pandemic fatigue has evolved into decision-making fatigue. So uh, it's harder for people to make decisions more than ever. And People are looking to professionals more than ever before. And I wanted to tell you that personally this morning, I'm actually going to be meeting with my own financial advisor. um, And I have not done that really very often in the past. I have a financial advisor. I don't have a ton of savings. I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you the shoemaker has no shoes kind of thing. Um, But in thinking through this situation myself, I'm feeling the same stress that this survey actually is talking about. Um, and the my confidence 
in my financial situation has definitely been walked back. I have not spent a lot of money these past two years. Some of it's because we haven't been traveling. We haven't been going out. Um, Things cost a lot more and the rise in the cost of our everyday things, food, gas, uh, heating our home, the, my lack of, of confidence in where prices are going makes me concerned about um, spending. So I am nervous and anxious. I don't buy things easily. We, this past year, we had to buy a car and the cost of a new car was outrageous. So that was a shock to our system. We're still putting a kid through college. That is killing us. Financial aid is not what it used to be. Um, A lot of things are really, really hurting us. And again, I'm going to translate this all to being a typical family to what happens when you are a family impacted by disability, which one in five or one in six families are in the U.S. So, um, and two-thirds of respondents on this report um, expressed interest in receiving recommendations on social security strategies. That is very interesting to me because um, what does that mean? Timing of when to retire and when to start taking your social security. Um, That impacts also if you have a disabled child and they're going to be receiving your benefits based on your social security. That's a question that we get all the time as we're planning for families. How is this going to impact my disabled adult child? When I start taking my benefits, they're going to switch over to DAC benefits. And how, how does that impact them? So that's a common question that we get. Should I start taking earlier or later? Should I delay? So a common question in doing your financial planning. With only 37% of respondents saying they have a comprehensive financial plan for retirement, the potential impact of getting financial guidance either through your employer or if it's not offered through your employer somewhere else, it the benefit of that is clear. Um, if you don't have a financial advisor, it's probably a good time to think about seeking out that support. Where do you find them? Some people will offer you advice and planning as part of managing your insurance and your investments at no charge. Some people are paid planners. I've had financial planners on my show. Um, There are a number of different ways that you can work with a financial planner, a financial advisor, and there are multiple different credentials that people have. So it's worth checking out uh, a number of different options. And I always say, the best thing you can do is to get some referrals from people that you know and trust. And although, you know, who 
the person who works with your best friend is maybe not always the person who's going to fit for you. Um, and the per person who works with your parents is maybe not always the person who's going to fit for you, but it's a good start. It's a good start. Um, lastly, um, healthcare costs. This is generally the thing that people are most concerned about. Not just health insurance, but the cost of long-term care, healthcare. This is on people's minds most. And uh, it's definitely something that people will be calculating, particularly for families like ours. So um, was definitely a great article, a great um, survey, uh, full details. I will post on the show notes. If you're interested in reading it, I thought it was, it was um, a really good sounding jumping off point for me. Uh, it got me thinking. I uh, made an appointment to meet with my financial advisor. I have a lot of things to chat about and, uh, and frankly, things to be worrying about. Um, moving forward from that point, things that are impacting families like ours, families with either kids or adults with disabilities, or perhaps you are a person with a disability yourself and you are trying to save this year, ABLE accounts have um, bopped up to $16,000 a year that you can put in your ABLE account. The lifetime cap has not changed. It's still $100,000. Um, the calculation for being able to save if you are working has changed. So that calculation um, is formulaic. It's important to understand um, and sit down with your financial advisor to understand the impact for you if you are a working disabled adult, what the benefits are of putting aside some money in an ABLE account versus a self-settled trust, for example, and whether you are someone who is working and receiving um, Medicaid benefits or um, or is receiving some form of social security disability and you know how all of those jigsaw puzzle pieces fit together. Perhaps you are living in um, some kind of supported housing. Maybe you're receiving some kind of uh, job supports. All of those all of those supported um, either public or semi-public, semi-private um, supports are, you know, they all have different eligibility requirements and ongoing rules about income and assets and need to be um, looked at one-on-one, uh, -on -one, each piece. And it can be just overwhelming and, and mind boggling. And it's important to have a benefits counselor. It doesn't always need to be an attorney. It's usually not an attorney, but a benefits counselor who can help and assist with all of these um, pieces and make sure that you're doing the very best for you so that you are, ma are maintaining uh, your benefits. Sometimes it's not worth keeping a benefit. You know, some people, for example, let go of their 
food assistance benefits or their heating assistance benefits because it's not worth holding on to. Um, and that's just an example. So again, starting off the year on the right foot, um, feeling a little down about the fact that we are so stalled out right now on Build Back Better, hoping it gets back on the table soon. I was so excited about it uh, at the end of last year, but um, right now, not sure what's going to happen. Uh, I know that I am not, you know, completely in the know, uh, 100%, but um, I really was hopeful that we were going to get a, a true influx of money for some home and community-based services in a real way. We've never before had services that were preventative. Um, we have some supports that take people out of institutions, but at least here in Massachusetts, I can say that for people under 65, we don't really have services that keep people out of institutions, not really. And I want to see that implemented. I want to provide true one door services that are wraparound for people with disabilities that are not mind boggling, that are helpful and supportive and person centered. Um, yeah, I'm a big dreamer. I know you can throw rotten tomatoes at me now and tell me it's never going to happen, but I'm going to keep working on it. Hope you will too. Uh, to that end, uh, I'm going to be announcing soon that we're going to be doing some different things through our special needs companies and our special needs family services programs. That's going to um, look like group coaching and um, we're going to be doing some courses and it's all in an effort to continue getting information out to people and working on things that are more affordable and accessible to everybody, not just in Massachusetts, but around the, around the country. And I hope that you will embrace this and jump on with us and take that ride with us, hoping it's useful, helpful, and, and supportive for you. So more about that soon. Um, again, I am going to uh, rerun one of our programs from 2020, and I hope that you love it. So here we go with Leah Moore, trying to stay positive while losing your mind. Leah Moore's book just came out, Loving You Big. Okay, welcome back, podcast fans. Well, this is Annette Hines, your host, and I am super excited today to have Leah Moore with me. She is hysterically funny, and she is one of my podcast stars. I am here to talk about well, all about Leah's life as a mom and a teacher, and she is one of my um, spotlight heroes. So we have started this series where we are highlighting um, parents, usually moms. I know I kind of favor the moms, and sometimes I get little messages from dads who aren't happy with that, but you know what? Too bad. <laughs> it's all about the moms. Um and I wanted Leah to come on the show because um, 
First of all, when I was reading her blog, I seriously was peeing my pants laughing because she's so freaking funny. And um, her life just reminded me of my life with my kids when I was raising them. And I am going to read a little bit of her blog in a second. Uh, one of them was just cracking me up. It's the one where you're waiting at the mailbox. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> um, but really... Just, uh, I I do want to just introduce Leah. Thank you for coming on the show. Welcome, Thank Leah. Thank you for having me. I'm a big fan, so I'm excited to be on this side of it. Thank you so much. Um, so, Leah, tell us a little bit about your family. You're a, a wife, a mom to three, and a teacher as well. So, can you just introduce us to your family, your kiddos? Sure. So, yes, I teach. Well, I live in Westchester, New York. I am a high school teacher. I teach ninth grade English and writing. And oh, God. <laughs> yes. Oh, and God. <laughs> I teach an adaptive theater class for students um, with significant special needs, uh, many who are nonverbal. I teach them theater, so I can happily talk about that. And uh-huh. I live here with my wonderful husband, who is a theater teacher. And our three very boisterous children. I have a daughter, Jordan, who is nine, and she has a rare diagnosis of Cretisha, which is a deletion of the fifth chromosome. And then I have twin five-year-old boys named Austin and Oliver, and they have had their own medical journeys, but everyone to date is healthy and currently in their pajamas and pretending to be puppies. So... (laughs) Having a good day. COVID life. Yes. COVID life. Yes. So much fun. Well, I was saying before we pressed record that if I had little kids, I don't know what I would be doing right now because I'm dealing enough with my 19-year-old who has a lot of anxiety and OCD through all of this. I mean, it's been hard enough for us adults and also dealing with my elderly mom. Yeah, life has been crazy these last five months. And I, I don't know how we're going to handle the next five or six months or however long we have to live through all of this. So how has life been for you guys over the last five months? Yes, crazy. You said <laughs> it well. I think there are times that being a special needs parent weirdly makes this easier because I'm already used to knowing that there's a lot I can't control that we have to slow down and not go anywhere many days. And there's a feeling of helplessness and frustration that I've gotten used to. So for a lot of conversations I'm having with my friends who have uh, neurotypical children, they're saying things that I've heard myself say. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I understand. And now they're saying, oh, we understand what you've been saying. But on, on a daily basis, it's pure chaos. Um, my husband and I were trying to teach high school students via computer while my daughter came in without clothes on or yeah. needed her hair brushed. And when she needs something, she needs something. And usually we're not here, so she doesn't get upset. Um, or the boys would come in and point at the screen and ask them if they knew any superheroes, you know, mm-hmm. trying to do my job. So we relied on video games and candy. Um, But 
but we are very grateful that everyone is healthy and having the time with them is really special. So we're trying to be positive and also losing our minds. I like to say each day is either a 10 or a one. There's really (laughs) no in between. There's no in between. Oh, good. Yeah. What, what does Kritisha look like? for Jordan or what does it look like in general? I That's know a that they're great question. one of your friends did a movie. Um, yes. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So I can start there. My amazingly talented friend, Emily Dombroff um, is a filmmaker and she did a documentary about Jordan when she just received her diagnosis, which she was about 18 months when we got her diagnosis. And we were told that she may never walk or talk and that she had hydrocephaly, which is the size of her head, as well as hypotonia, which is low tone all over her body. And she has sensory regulation disorder and her sensory needs are extreme. Uh, We found out a few years later, she also had epilepsy. Um, But at the time we made the documentary to spread awareness because we learned that Kritisha was a spectrum syndrome and there were a lot of children who were achieving more milestones than she was and some that were achieving less and the inequities of what um, early intervention was giving based on where they live was pretty profound. So Mm -hmm. we wanted to do some fundraising to give back to the 5P minus organization to help some of the families who lived in places where they were receiving less services because we really believe and still believe that early intervention helped her to achieve everything that she's doing now. So um, we're actually trying to make a second documentary, but Jordan is less interested in the camera and more interested in her own appearance and her own reflection. So we're trying to figure out how to get her on screen without screaming, because I think for a lot of families of rare syndromes, it's nice to see some people who are out there living your life and doing what you're doing, which is part of our advocacy work. Absolutely. So I'm part of the rare disease world, as you know, and I love to go out and um, do as much as I can. And um, I do a lot of speaking. And um, so I I think it's so important to connect with those families. Having lost my own child to a rare disease, that connection is invaluable and not feeling so alone. I certainly felt that way you are luckier than I was because when my daughter was growing up, we didn't have the same kind of social networking connections and the internet and everything. So it was very different. And I can't imagine because I know how isolated we feel and we have the computer in front of us for everything. So to not have all those networks, I can't imagine. But even still hearing you say, you know, those predictions that doctors made just makes me so angry. I can't believe they're still doing that. Why? Why do they still tell parents things like that? Like, oh, you know, you know, not going to walk, not going to talk, may never, blah, blah, blah. You know, none of that is, it's just not necessary for um, it's, it's kind of setting up the parents and the child to fail, you know? Yeah. And one of the, that's my opinion. Maybe yeah. agree. How do you feel? Well, about one of the things that I'm realizing is it's interesting because in the classroom, I teach about ableism and the legacy of the eugenics movement 
And we talk about of mice and men. And at the end, Lenny with his intellectual disability dying for many seems like, oh, good, the ending, right? There's some sort of peace. It was a kind thing to do. And it's a really problematic book to be teaching. And I use it as an opportunity to show them about the stigmas that we have about disability. Yet in my own life, when I got my daughter's diagnosis, it felt like it was something I could love out of her almost. Like with enough therapy and enough trying resources, like maybe we can be the ones that change this. And maybe this isn't something that we have to live with. And I realized how problematic that is because there is nothing wrong with my beautiful child, but society taught me growing up that there was. I never saw any kids like her in my school. I'm just about 40. So people at different age groups have different experiences, but kids were separated. Kids were put in different places that there was always... um, I write about in in the book I'm writing that we received a condolence card when she got her diagnosis. People Mm -hmm. don't know what to say. So I, I almost feel, yes, I know doctors are saying they may never walk or talk, but to me, that's almost secondary to the societal implications of what it means to bring home a child with severe cognitive disabilities. And that's the work. It's huge work. And that's the work that I want to do. Informing the doctors, informing the neighbors, informing the kids on the playground who stare and saying, we're just people, part of your neighborhood. And there's a lot of work to be done. So I'm still learning how to do that. But people like you spreading awareness and having these platforms is definitely the key. Well, you should join our circle of care on our Facebook page, because that is, you know, one thing that we are doing. And I've been spending a lot of time working on that for sure. Um, We definitely have been trying, uh, well, I've been working really hard for 25 years on um, trying to, well, it starts within us, as you're saying, because I know in the beginning, I fought that with myself. And then, you know, I always thought that I was going to have this perfect child too. And then I got a lot of I'm sorry's in the beginning as well. And people turn away and they don't know what to say. And, um, you know, you really have to confront the fact that if, if you were given this magic pill, of course, you would take it, you would give it to your child and you would make them whole. You would, you would change this back to, you know, what would be sort of the norm in society, mm-hmm. or maybe you wouldn't, I don't know. It's a big question. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a lot of, you know, my answer to that question nine years ago would have been absolutely give her the magic pill. And there's a part of me now that sees the world differently because of her. And she's not been, I don't subscribe to the thought that we were given her for any particular reason or or anything like that. That doesn't comfort me particularly. I know it does for many, but I have, I have learned how to be a, better parent because the, her path is harder. And I look to my relatives sometimes. So my husband and I both do theater and it was heartbreaking for me that my daughter couldn't do it. 
but yet she does in her own way. Like she finds her way. So I, sure. I don't know yet if I'd give her the pill now. I'm right in the middle. She's only nine. So you have to ask me again mm-hmm. in a decade, right? You've had more time on this journey. But I, I think that's what I'm still figuring out for myself is how much of that is seeing her for who she is and how much of that is me listening to what society taught me. Yeah, and then you have to think about what if your journey was my journey and your child was sick? That's right. Because then- That's different. Think, well, that's different. Yeah. And I, one of my boys we thought had leukemia for a while um, and it he does not. And I think a lot about that. I put all these pieces together. So yes, I think when you talk about medical needs, it's it's a completely different conversation. Yeah, and so as parents, we all want to have our child be pain-free and that's both physical and mental, you know? <laughs> we want them to be happy and we want them to be loved and cherished, just fit into society and then, you know, as your child gets older and you get older and you're, you're starting to be, you know, in your 60s and 70s and you're looking at that, you know, ooh, what's going to happen when my kid is, you know, going to be without me? Yes. Now what? Yes. You know? We've been thinking that for a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> we're getting so heavy. I'm so going to change this conversation. But it's I want to know, um, yeah. because, because I really want to know what inspired you to start your blog and your, your, um, your webpage, Loving You Big. Yes. I, my audience, you have to go check out Leah's webpage. Please come visit. It's in the middle of a makeover, so it'll look a lot more beautiful in about a week or so. But Oh, it looks so good right oh, now. There's going to be some cooler pictures. Um, actually, the conversation we're having is what made me start writing. Oh, I was good. walking around with that heaviness. I was walking around with this morning of my daughter's entire existence and she was in a pack and play and I didn't know what to do with it. And I, I am sort of by nature, a pretty effusive person. I'm chatty and gregarious and yeah. I, I, it was weighing me down in a way that I didn't know what to do. And I, like I said, teach English and the students were writing a personal narrative. And I said, you know what? I'll just model for you what one looks like. And I sat down one night after a very long list of things I had to do. And this story about raising a child who at the time did not speak and being a teacher of words poured out of me, just just came right out. And I decided to take a risk and read it to my students the next day. Oh no. I'm going to call this hashtag the pack and play moment. (laughs) And I cried hysterically in front of 14 year olds who just stared at me like, what was your name again, lady? I mean, I was just (laughs) bawling, bawling. And it's funny, a lot of them, you know, they're in college now and they're like, remember that day you just cried? Yes, you you remember. Yeah, yeah. um, And you didn't. You didn't lose your job over I did not lose my job, no. I was checking. (laughs) In fact, um, it matched my philosophy that we model, right? I'm a real person. That's right. A real being. And from that moment, the stories just poured out of me. So one of my favorite stories is about going to the grocery store with my kids, and it's a mess in many ways. And I 
sat down and I think it took 12 minutes for that story to come out because I, I needed a place for them to go. So I just started writing. This is another great, that's another great blog post that's up there about the grocery store. Yes. Don't you want to just have coffee with her audience? <laughs> I do. I, I do. I need to meet a lot of people. I don't know very many people, which I write about. Um, so I started writing and people started responding and saying, me too. And, uh, and there, and I wanted to write with humor. I wanted people to know that we could still be the person I was before this heaviness came in. And it's not that the heaviness completely dissipates, but there's a way to find light as well. And writing is what helped me to do that. So the blog is people write in different languages and it gets translated and it's been so rewarding. So I decided to add another to do to my list and turn it into a book because I yeah. you know, have time for that. So, um, so that's cool. my next adventure. So where are you at in the process? So I have a wonderful agent whose name is Jen Frank and, um, she saw my vision and I felt so validated. So she and I are shopping for a home for the book. So if anybody has ever tried to write a book, it's a very long process. Mm -hmm. And uh, within the next month or so, we're going to start pitching it to publishers to find it a really special home. And just uh, just this year, a a really great book I'd recommend called um, Raising a Rare Child by Heather Lanier. I believe that's how you say her name just came out and um, it felt, it feels like a cousin of what I'm writing. So Mm -hmm. it was nice to see that there's something out there and in the newspapers and on the bestseller lists that is matching the stories that I think we need to hear. Cool. So yeah. So feel free to follow along on the website and I'll let you know when it's out. Excellent. So audience, I'm going to read you a little excerpt from one of the blog posts that I thought was hysterical, just so you can get a little flavor, because I want to tease you a little bit, and I want to send you over to her site. Thank you. It's called Every Day We Wait Outside for a Package We Never Ordered. Quarantine Confession Number One is the title. I use it as a distraction when I am upstairs finishing an email, an assignment, or on another Zoom meeting, I anticipate the screeching, help, stop it. I know at the bottom of the steps, I will find a familiar scene, Jordan stomping around like Godzilla, chasing her brothers with the hope of catching them for a passionate embrace. It would be enough just to tussle their hair or hug their pajama clad bodies, but she loves a bit too fiercely and inadvertently hurts them. She is Elmira Duff from my childhood show of Tiny Toons, clutching her brothers so ferociously that their cartoon eyes would pop. I'm going to hug you and kiss you and love you forever. It's endearing, but no one wants to be on the receiving end of her loving attack mode. The boys have gotten resourceful. Jordan, I have a surprise for you. It is upstairs if you want to come see it. And then like a small puppy, she follows them while they quickly lock the child gate behind her. It isn't cruel. It's a survival tactic. And she thinks it's part of the game. Jordan, why don't we do something else? Let's go see if the package arrives. My words are enough to unlock her focus. It gives everyone a momentary respite until the next urge. We turn the squeaky knob of our 1930s front door, careful not to crack the glass window again. She jumps outside to embrace the day. 
It doesn't matter if she is presented by the cascading sun, pounding rain, or unseasonably worrisome snow. She walks with purpose onto the porch. Cars stopped at the stop sign in front of our house have an opportunity to observe Miss Jordan in her full glory, her quarantine outfit. Adult-sized fuzzy gray slippers from what could be the Davy Crockett collection, fluorescent yellow minion pajamas positioned perfectly to reveal a sizable butt crack, and atop her spiral curls is the Doc McStuffins hat she has been wearing vehemently since age two the ensemble of the past 60 days. This girl loves a routine. Sadly, trying to propose to her brothers has become one of them. Is it here, Mama? This is when I feel guilty about my ruse. She stands in front of me, crossing fingers on both hands, staring up into the sky. Perhaps this is the day her wishes will come true. Never mind, we don't know what package and we never actually ordered anything, but today it might just come. (laughs) I'm going to leave it there. The rest of it goes on. It's really funny. I'm laughing hysterically just thinking about it. (laughs) You have to read the rest to know what happens next. (laughs) And uh, a slight spoiler alert, people that know us have been starting to send some (laughs) random packages to our house. So that's great. Random things appeared. I think this is hysterical. It's, um, it's really funny and it's quite a surprise what actually arrives. Yes. (laughs) I wasn't expecting it. It's so what our house is like. Down to that tushy showing every day. <laughs> Quite a house. Oh, I, I, I think that you are an awesome writer. Um, do you have a big following? Yeah, it's growing. I have uh, the blog is in fifty-seven countries, um, and you know the posts. You know, I'm not good with the logistics, but some posts get like ten thousand views, and some get two, which are probably my mom reading it twice. <laughs> that's how I I feel about this podcast (laughs) I have loyal followers and then I've also been submitting some writing to some other uh you know spaces like scary mommy or uh, mother well or things like that just to spread some awareness because my main goal is I like to pretend there's an imaginary woman in Sheboygan Wisconsin I went (laughs) to school in Wisconsin and she's just feeling a little alone and needs to know that there's another parent out there whose children are not getting dressed and it doesn't make them a bad mother. Right. So, right. so I write, write two and write four. Um, and it helps, it helps me go. And she's screaming in the background. I don't know. I if hear it. She sounds awesome. Yeah. And the pictures of her are great. I love the curls. Oh my God. She's gorgeous. I, I know. I'm just going to tell my husband really quickly. This is what real life is like, right? Yep. Um, I'm so sorry. So, um, welcome to recording podcasts in the middle of COVID. And this is what it's like, what it's like. So, Um, I was going to say, so she has beautiful head of curls and she recently decided that she can't live with them and they have to be straight. So every morning at four or 5 a.m., she has me there with the round brush straightening her curls. So that's where we are currently. She has a thing about hair. She's attached Barbie doll heads to it. She has like 40 wigs. This child is a fashionista. But yes, she is adorable. She is adorable. So you've got, 
you know, this book proposal that you're doing, which mm-hmm. I've heard now when I published my book, um, I did a kind of a hybrid model. So I have a publisher, but I, I self-published with a publisher, meaning I didn't do a book proposal. So I put my book out there mm-hmm. um, and I own all the rights to it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't sell the rights to it, but I had, uh, I hired an editor and I hired somebody to do all the cover art and everything. So it's kind of like a hybrid model. Yeah. Yeah. I'm familiar. It was super cool. I really enjoyed doing that, but I've got another book coming out and I'm trying to decide which way to go with Mm -hmm. the next book. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be interested to find out how you find doing the whole, you know, like regular publisher routine because I hear that doing a whole, um, you know, working through a regular publisher and getting um, a book proposal to doing a book proposal is like really like hard work and can yes. be you know, kind of a nightmare. Yes, so. I do feel like I'm writing a dissertation. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, and and I can let you know as I continue to learn, and one of the things that I sort of value as a teacher is never being afraid to say, I have no idea what I'm doing. So writing a book was a hobby turned into something more. So each time I do it, I think, I don't really know what I'm doing. And the more upfront I am about that, the more progress I think I can make. So one of the frustrations I had was that I'm not, I'm not famous I'm not anybody in that world. So there's a lot of, especially when you're writing a memoir, there's a lot of pushback to say, well, that's lovely for you, but how much money can you make us? And finding, um, I think hybrid publishing and self-publishing are phenomenal ways to get stories out because that's the point. We want to get stories out. And I don't think that cost and politics should get in the way of that because there are people who need to hear other people's stories. Right. You have this perspective as a mom that other people need to hear. So I, um, I, I found this amazing agent who really believed in what I was saying. And because of that partnership, I'm going to go out on a risk and see what happens. But it doesn't mean that it will get uh, picked up which I'm aware of, and then I'll find the next path for it. But I will let you know what happens um, because right now I'm just working on that networking piece and just trying to connect to other parents and other stories. And something I do want to share with your, with your listeners is that when I did get my daughter's diagnosis, I reached out to everyone I could on social media. Yeah. And very few wrote back, which I totally get, right? Life is busy. But I, I always say... If you write to me, I will write back because I do this to connect. It helps me to connect. It helps them to connect. And I think it's important for people who have those big platforms, which I don't yet, but maybe one day I will, to to remember that there are people out there who need the support. So I would say if you're one of those people listening, write back to us. We want to (laughs) know. We want to hear. Well, besides finding, you know, besides talking about parenting a child with a rare disease, which, you know, we obviously totally have in common. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and fighting against ableism, another mm-hmm. favorite topic of mine. <laughs> good one. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your 
uh, work-life balance. Yes. Which is totally messed up in the COVID life that we're living now. So maybe it's not a fair question to ask right now, mm-hmm. but during normal times, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we can talk about that a little bit because that's something that I struggled with forever. And I wrote a lot about that in my book. You know, I had a whole chapter on my so-called career. Mm -hmm. So maybe can we talk a little bit about that with our audience? Because I am sure that you have a ton to share about that. Yeah, I would love to. I agree. It is the backbone of everything. (laughs) So I'll start by saying I am still figuring that out too. (laughs) But one of the things that feels problematic for me is the put your oxygen mask on first Mm. because it's very important. But as I discovered through writing is that I learned to take what I'm calling catch breaths. I'm a singer. So when you sing, if you hit a note that you can't fully finish, you take a really quick sip of air and you can finish out the verse or the phrase. And I realized I was taking catch breaths. So, um, you know, the experts say, get a quick manicure. Okay, I'll get a quick manicure. The experts say, go for a walk. Okay, I'll go for a walk. And none of them fulfilled whatever it was I needed. And I got through probably five years like that. I gained a lot of weight because these were very supportive. Never let me down. Yes. And and part of it was survival mode, right? So I know that that cookie isn't necessarily going to help. But in that moment, when I'm getting punched while I'm trying to write a lesson plan or I have an observation or my husband's coming home from work or whatever it may be, that cookie seemed to help. So... One of the reasons I I like to write about this and want to write about this is that I'm doing a lot of back, what word would you call it? Like I'm going backwards now. Reflection. 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 And if I had known some of these things from the beginning, I think that it wouldn't take so much energy now. With that said, I wish there was a magic pill for the work-life balance. But what I'm learning Uh, with the help of some therapy, which I highly recommend, Mm -hmm. is that I was so quick to push away anything negative. I just tried to find what was positive in it. So here I was trying to find joy and laughter in all these situations. And it meant that I never actually sat with the things that were really difficult. So I do get bitten or punched pretty frequently. It's not my daughter's fault. It's yeah. part of what's happening. Yeah. And instead of acknowledging that, I sort of just pushed it away and moved on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And it, it builds up over time. But now if I just sort of stop and say, that was terrible and she's now safe. And what I need to do is lately I've been hiding in the basement. Um, we have a basement. If my husband's home, I might say, I'm going to go take a two minute walk. That things don't have to be so extreme, but they're in relation to the behavior. Mm -hmm. Just like she has a relation to her behavior, I need it as well. And it's modeling for my boys who are watching. Um, I have a very funny story about the first time they went to get grapes. So she bites my back when she asks for something. And my boys walked right up to me, bit my back and said like, grapes, peas. And I said, why are you biting? 
And I realized they've been watching their big sister bite to get what she wants. So they just thought that's what we did in this house. Like, I'm hungry. I'll bite my mom in the tush and I'll say, peace, and I'll get what I want. And, you know, those, that's when I really started to change some of the systems because it's enough for me to handle maybe some of my habits, but I don't want to raise my boys with those. So listeners, I do not have an answer except to say owning what's messy. I, um, I Marco Polo, my best friends. I reach out to my network. I'm learning who I can rely on and just say I'm having a day, but it took a really long time to figure that out and not feel needy. And get your team together, people. I I say that all the time on this Mm -hmm. podcast. You get your team together and it's going to evolve over time. Your team, when your kids are nine and six, seven, Mm -hmm. not going to look the same as when your team, as your team, when your kids are 15 or 20 or 25, but you know, you need your team. Yes. And they can all do different roles too. They don't all have to do the same. And the last thing I've realized is I'm going to call it like embrace your sort of dorky habits. So I get a lot of joy organizing my closet. All of my shirts are black. I'm wearing a black shirt right now. And I can't figure out which one's which. So when it's really bad, I sort of go into the closet and I like rehang them up. And it's silly, but it's calming. I can control that. Well, and finding cool. the things, right? Just, it's very dorky, but I'm finding the things I can control and get me centered. That's nice. Right. So if, if the people listening have something that it doesn't feel very cool to do, but it really calms them. And then for me, it was writing. One of my podcast guests used to play Pokemon. Oh, I love that. Just whatever makes it work. Right. Right? Exactly. And I had never done that. It wasn't a thing for me, you know, it's sort of a certain era. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, but that's so cool. Yeah. So cool that that was your thing. Right. And you got to find your thing. She got out of the house. It was actually, um, it wasn't an online thing. It was like those cards and she would actually go, it was her social oh, time. So she would actually that. leave the house and go and do it in the community. I love that. With other people. Yes. Social. Really I, people. I do want to say I'm learning if it's for someone else, I'll do it. So I'm writing this book because it's for my daughter. If it was just for me, I would never do it. So Mm -hmm. I'm starting to say I have a friend now that will take a walk every afternoon together because I don't want to let her down, which means I'm going to do it. So I just trick myself into doing things for other people, but it's really for me. So that's another tip. If anyone's like me listening, I would recommend that as well. I found that I got to the whole self-care thing really, really late, way too late, and I wish that I had come to it much sooner. I really ran myself to the ground mm-hmm. and um, it wasn't necessary. No. Didn't need to do it. No. The other thing is, you know, I love your story about your boys because the sibling thing so important. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about how do you want to effectively parent, but, you know, how do you want to how do you want to enjoy them? Mm -hmm. How do you want to be a family together? How do you want to show them that they're important too, Mm -hmm. that they mean something, that they are individuals? Yes, I love that. Every person in the family Mm -hmm. is important. Mm -hmm. 
And we, one of my favorite memories with my boys, it's a piece I wrote called Crayon Wings. My daughter was having a really, really, really hard breakdown in a mall. We couldn't get her to move. And we did all the strategies we've been trained. And my husband usually picks her up at that point. And the boys are probably four and they were playing with crayons in the background. I wasn't even paying attention to them. And they, they walked up to her and said, um, Jordan, the reason you can't walk is because you don't have wings. And they drew crayon wings all over her body, imaginary little wings on her feet, on her back. Mm. She got right up and walked out. And they handed me the crayons and said, here, mommy, for next time. And my husband and I were like, what just happened? Mm. That was amazing because... It's, it's the moment I realized we all have a role in this family. We can all help. We can all have our breakdowns. Like we are a team and even, you know, you're not too little. And it, it was so comforting to watch that they knew something that I couldn't figure out. And I love when they just play together and just enjoy being siblings. It's so refreshing. That's awesome. Yeah. It but it's also scary when they worry though, too. Yes. We are working on trying to keep them young and saying you are not, right? Mommy and daddy will keep her safe. You don't have to do that. So we, we've been trying to really work on that language. One of my boys doesn't notice at all. He's totally oblivious. oblivious. And the other one, I like to say is a 40 year old man and a little British man in a little body, but yeah, yeah, worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. So, okay, you're a teacher, so I cannot let this podcast end without talking to you about how you feel about classrooms and getting back to school or not getting back to school. What's going on in your county right now? Are you guys going back to school in person or not going back to school in person? What's this? Yes, so we we are all going back. My husband and I, as teachers, are going back every day. My children go back in the hybrid model. So the boys are starting kindergarten two days a week and three days that they're home. And Jordan, because of the population that she's in, will go back four days a week. Wow. Um, However, will that stay? No one really knows. So... I'm sort of sending out a, for everyone listening... I have some mantras, teacher mantras and person mantras. So I'll share them. The first is in the teacher world, we have um, the concept that it's going to be Maslow before Bloom. So your needs have to be met before any higher order thinking can happen for any age group. Because if the kids don't feel safe, if the kids are so anxious, they're not going to be able to make inferences and predictions or do calculus. The second I'm going with this, this year is less is more. So as a teacher, a teacher who likes to get things done and done well, we have to essentialize our curriculum. We have to know that the students who are at home and at school, we are all just doing the best we can, teachers included, and that less is more, that it's okay that it looks different and that we can work together to do that. And then I'm still working on the third one, which is... um, I think something about being kind to ourselves, because as parents, whether you are at home trying to teach your children or whether going into the classroom trying to teach our children and be in the classroom, this is impossible for everybody. And I think that kindness extended towards one another is especially important right now. That says it all. Mm -hmm. Truly, there's not enough 
kindness. Um, yeah, there's a, there's so much going on. Um, there's a, um, there's a lot of judging going on amongst teachers, amongst parents. Um, there's a lot in the, on the internet. Uh, there's a lot in social media. We really have to just be nice to each other, recognizing that these are not easy decisions. And when somebody makes a decision, we just need to support it and say, Hey, we know that's a really hard decision. And, Whatever you've decided for your family, we're we're behind you. That's right. So um, it, it, it's you know these are not political decisions; these are family decisions um, and safety and safety decisions. They, you know, people are making decisions for us. You know, at the top, they're not really including us in these decisions. <laughs> we're not getting um, to weigh in much. Um, I don't know if you're feeling like you've had a lot of um, choice or voice Mm -hmm. in in any of this. uh, And and that's what I bring back to that, that idea of control. So as a special needs mom, I had no control over a lot of things. And now that's echoed everywhere. So there is a lot I can't control. There's a lot my voice can't do, even though I'm a part of an incredible union, even though I'm one of many hundreds of thousands of teachers in the United States, there are moves that I can make, but they feel small. And mm-hmm. knowing that I can combine with other people is part of the work that I'm doing slowly. And it's the same work I'm doing as a special needs mom. So to me, it's in the same wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it's helping me brace for impact, knowing that change takes a really long time and that I'm going to move back five steps before I even take a little millimeter forward but I, I know as an educator that kids will be okay. If they're reading at a different reading level than they're supposed to, they're still going to be okay. That we have yeah. to take that extra pressure off ourselves and make sure that we're safe. And whatever that looks like for people's families, that's a personal issue. Right. Yeah. Our that's special true. needs kids have to get something now. Yes. Yes. They can't they're go without. Team. No. Uh, the routine is so, so necessary. And I, I am grateful that there's a space where my daughter can go and be safe. And we've practiced putting our mask on and yeah. like all things, we'll see what that looks like. Hers is sparkly and pink. So. Of, course, of course, of course it is. I, so I, I have to leave with a funny, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm, I'm reading, I'm going to read the last two paragraphs from the the blog post about the makeup. Oh yes, the makeup. So Jordan is putting makeup. She's your makeup artist. Yes, every day putting makeup on you. Mm-hmm. So she offers touch ups while I am asleep. On the occasion I collapse onto the couch, I will wake up with a full a face full of mascara, real mascara that she has apparently stolen from the medicine cabinet, despite the child safety locks. How does she get in there? I am grateful for her commitment to her craft as I would be ready for an impromptu filming of Lord of the Flies or the coal miner's daughter number four if ever needed. Her passion for her craft is unparalleled. Her schedule is very booked with the YouTube channel and all. But if you are finding you also need a a pick-me-up 
during this time of quarantine and don't mind getting a blush brush shoved inside your ear, please reach out to make an appointment. <laughs> and there's this beautiful picture of her in a purple striped hat. There's that hat. That's the same hat. <laughs> With the brush and everything. She's adorable. Thank you. The blog post is hysterical. <laughs> Thank you. I totally love your blog. It's Thank so you. funny. Thank you. And I really... Um, I couldn't stop laughing. And some of the, not all the blogs are funny, obviously. Sure. I mean, some of them are real, so real. Yeah. Right. But that's I, real it, life, right? Yep. It, it totally it, took me back. In a day. Totally took me back to raising yeah. my family, not exactly like your family, but so many things were, you know, just like your family. So, yeah. Um, Thank you. Any last words, any last pieces of advice that you would like to leave our listeners with for today? I think we've covered a lot. I, I oh think we God, should yes. just reiterate the, uh, that concept. You, you know, everyone's going through something and you don't really know. So that idea of kindness, I think, if anyone's walking away with what steps to do, I think we should just reiterate that kindness and empathy because that's at the heart of all of these conversations. So... Yeah, I am. I really respect the work you're doing on all fronts to help share voices and amplify people's stories. And thank you so much for letting me be one of those people. Oh my God. Well, thank you for coming on the show and thanks for giving me such a good laugh today. And uh, thanks for joining my listeners. This has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Leah. It was so great to meet you. You too. Jordan and the boys. Yeah. Hello. They are. They're screaming in the background. I'm going to call her for an appointment. Yes. I need to make over. Only if you want that mascara right up your nose. You well, do. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So let's have that cup of coffee someday, okay? Oh, that would be great. That would be great. <laughs> okay. Right. Thank you. Thank Bye you. now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.